Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Vikings. I am your host, Dustin Baker. I got Brian McKinney with me tonight, Sal Spice and Ron Saw, the Believe in Vikings crew. And we are talking about the week seven Minnesota Vikings, who are two and four, disappointingly. A couple ugly wins against the Panthers and Bears. And then next on deck, Monday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers. So we're going to go through kind of some stuff from the Chicago game, looking ahead to the 49ers and perhaps beyond. That's on the docket. Uh, it's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all of your baseball wagering information. With up to the minute stats, news scores, and matchup breakdowns, get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips on Bet Online's real time updates, statistics, news, and odds. They have everything there for you to stay up to speed on each LCS in baseball all the way through the World Series. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. And don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV believe, to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's free money, folks. Uh, bet online where the game starts. And it's Believe in Vikings. We are on the week seven edition. The Vikings are two and four, trying to climb out of that hole and make something of the season. We shall see. Monday night football against the 49ers probably won't be fun unless there are just tons of injuries on the 49ers side, which could happen. Uh, but Bryant, I usually ask you this question after a win like the Vikings had against the Bears. And I'm going to do it again in case we have some new listeners. Usually when the Vikings go to that building, uh, this last four games in Soldier Field, they've won. But this one was particularly ugly. It was a lot of mistakes. I think most of us got up off the couch thinking, oh, okay, we'll take it, I guess. Uh, when you, as a player, win a game that's ugly, do you do you care? Do you go back in and say, Jesus, we got to fix a lot of shit? Or do you just do the win as a win and on to the next one? No, you still care because you want to clean things up um, and not continue to make the similar mistakes that you're making the following week. So you do care, but you are also happy that you did you know, manage to get a win. But, um, yeah, you just want to kind of address, you know, certain situations that they don't just drag on throughout the rest of the season. And then games of the away games at Soldier Field, uh, I think you played about 10 of them altogether. Are those particularly, like, physical more so than a regular game just because it's Vikings versus Bears? Because Uh, the defensive coordinator today said, like, he's like, this was a physical game. And he doesn't usually say that. So uh, it kind of stood out to me that perhaps it was a little bit more a little more physicality. Yeah, in your division, those games tend to be a lot more physical. Um, the coaches like are more amped up that week just because they always say it kind of counts twice if you get a win or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it tends to be a more of a physical game. So I could definitely see it, and especially with the Chicago Bears, so they're going to go out there and going to be a little more physical, try to get a win at home. So, yeah, it definitely is. Sally, I had a couple of text messages from colleagues right after the game that said, somehow I feel worse going into that game than I did coming out. And you like to say a win's a win, but there was something particularly rotten about that game. Uh, did you echo that sentiment or were you uh, queen of positivity over there? Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's usually never pretty at Soldier Field, right? So I try to keep that in mind. However, I think it said... 
it was kind of one of those games that almost felt like a loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a bummer to me that the offense looked so stagnant when, of course, they didn't have JJ, but they're playing a terrible defense in the Bears. I would have really liked to see them experiment a little bit because they're going to be out. He's not going to be there for a while, right? So this mm-hmm. was the perfect time to, you know, try some things out and hey, if it gets the second half and it's not working and we need to buckle down and win the game, go for it. But it just see it was so vanilla. And um, so I'm with you. They didn't look like a contender at all. They did not look like they belong in the playoffs. And I don't think we've seen that for more than a few minutes here and there the entire season. So, yeah, it was a bummer. Ron, the only solace I took at all is what Sally said in, in chalking it up to, well, that's Soldier Field for you, uh, because otherwise it was one of the, the the grossest Vikings wins I can remember. And most of them do come at Soldier Field. Uh, they were two for 13 on third down. The second half offense was one of the worst two quarters of Vikings offense I have ever seen, let alone in the, the Kirk era. But they won. So what is your take coming out of the Chicago game? We'll get into some San Francisco stuff here in a bit, but solely on Chicago. What do you got? I think um, Chicago and then even the past few weeks um, has really exposed um, O'Connell as a, as an offensive coordinator. Um, I think he is a good, um, he has the locker room. I think he's a good leader of men. I don't think he knows what he's doing on the field. Um, I really don't, Um, you know, even from horrible clock management um, using timeouts in the worst possible time. And then the play calling Um, I, we used to, you know, criticize Zimmer for the vanilla play calling on offense because it was very predictable. O'Connell is supposed to be its offensive guru and there's still that predictability of it. Like anytime there's an incomplete pass on first down, they will run it hundred percent of the time on second and 10. Um, If there's like, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's like, there's no creativity. There's we're not even seeing pre-snap motion that we should like where the little things that the, you know, are you're able to let the offense, you know, determine whether it's man or zone coverage, stuff like that. Get your guys that extra little step so that they're not getting jammed. We don't see that. And again, I don't know it, it for me, it's not even without JJ, you're missing one of the best non quarterbacks in the league, but you're going to miss that. There's enough talent on this offense to, especially against the Chicago Bears. Like, the, like I don't get that. Um, so for me, I think he needs to give up the play calling. Um, it, it's just too vanilla for a guy who's not supposed to be vanilla, Bryant. Um, during your Vikings career, whether it was so just for set the table, Justin Jefferson is out for at least three more games. Um, do you recall circumstances where, you know, Randy Moss would be out or Adrian Peterson would be out? Does it take a game or two or three to get get a rhythm on offense? Should we expect that? Or what's the deal? Normally, like, you know, people are supposed to step up for when, you know, those type of guys are out. Um <clears throat> So somebody has to kind of step up and be like the next person in charge um, when those things happen. If we, you know, had to miss a Randy or like an AP, it's like whoever's filling in for them needs to step up, raise their level or the next guy in charge. So it's like you can't really just sit here and just say, oh, we don't have such such. All right, what are we going to do? We have to just continue to fight without, you know, the individual. And everybody, everybody normally steps their game up. 
And so it doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't take, you know, two or three games to get a, get cooking. For who? Because I mean, the offensive line still got a box. We had to block, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You're, mm-hmm. you're only missing one person. So it's like, mm-hmm. is you just missing that one playmaker, but like everybody else still has to do their individual job, you know? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I agree. Sally, the, the, the Vikings rank dead last in time of possession, dead last in rushing attempts. And uh, it's just that that doesn't usually equate to a successful football team. So without Jefferson, do you foresee, you know, against the 49ers or the following week against the Packers, the offense hitting a rhythm or getting on track and Addison popping off or Cam Akers getting some carries? Or is this just what we got? Well, that's what I was going to argue, that it's not just this week without JJ that it's been vanilla. It's been this way all season. There's been no consistency. And what I don't understand is last year that wasn't an issue. So was what's the difference behind the scenes that we're not seeing? Um, what has changed in last year and this year as far as play calling goes or chemistry goes, those intangible things that we can't see. Something is different. and. Um, I'd love to know what it is going forward. Um, also, why did Cam Akers have one carry and what did Madison have 25? Mm-hmm. Why bring him in if you want him to have one carry? Why aren't the fastest guys on the field? Ty Chandler, why is why aren't you giving him the ball once in a while? That's what I'm saying. Just mix it up. You played the Bears. See if one of these guys can come in and be and share carries. Um, I did. Did they activate um, Kane today? Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what that means. I'm assuming it's maybe more special teams role, but I don't know. Quit pass it. Why, why do you keep trying to throw it to Madison? Like it's not working. Um, <laughs> so yeah, going forward, I, I don't know what, if you couldn't try these things out against the bears and get some <laughs> rhythm, are you going to get it on Monday night with the whole world watching against San Francisco? I see it unlikely. I would hope with where the Packers are at and and where the Vikings are going to be at um, on Sunday, maybe they'll just let it loose and and what say what do we have to lose? But in my opinion, they should have said that last Sunday. So hey, what is it's there? also it's not all on them. I mean, the guys are dropping balls too, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't blame it all on Kevin O'Connell's play calling and uh, and other things like that. I mean, it is really disappointing how much how many drops they have. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, it's like there maybe there's the there's a conservative nature because you can't trust guys to catch the ball. Like even and we're all KJ Osborne fans, but how many balls does he has he either dropped or even when he catches the ball, it doesn't look natural. It's hitting him in the chest and bouncing into his hands. Like, you know, there was that one on it was a big first down play that he had, or you know, he got a first down and he let the ball hit him in the chest and he caught it, but it's also like you're a wide receiver. You catch with your hands. And then Hawkinson there, the balls are hitting him in the hands and he's dropping them. You reset the tight end market as he wanted to do. Well, how about you reset those goddamn hands and catch the goddamn football? Like, I don't understand what's going on. He, that none of these guys look like the players that they were last year. And that's the problem. That's what doesn't make sense is why is it happening across the board? These issues. Right. Yeah, and it's weird that know. it's weird that they're keeping penalties down. Um, they're one of the top five fewest penalized teams. Uh, usually, if you have all that other bullshit going on, you're also undisciplined with the penalties. Well, they're not on the field to get the penalties. <laughs> no, I'm talking on both both sides of the ball. But yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the uh, 
the thing that so O'Connell said after the game that you know the Vikings' best game, they're still chasing it. It's out there somewhere. So I have faith <laughs> that he'll eventually because we didn't really have these types of offensive woes last year. But the thing uh, that both of you touched on, Sally and Ron, is so what is there on on a standard NFL game? There's about 60 snaps or so on offense, and <laughs> there are 18 run plays to Madison, and then seven targets through the air. And for a guy who was mostly an RB2 last year has shown throughout the first five, six weeks that he's probably best suited for that job, or at least in a committee with somebody like Akers. I think right now, especially because the offensive line run blocking is there. If you look at any credible metric, it says they're doing their piece. We got this offensive line. Finally, we've been praying for it for a decade and it's like somehow the offense is still sputtering. So I think and right, Josh Oliver and Josh yeah. Oliver is helping with that too. So and Sorry. the no, no, I totally agree. So I, I, I'm going to guess that Madison's carries will eventually shrink and there will be complete equity between Akers and Madison. Uh, and I, I think it was a glaring example that you had that many touches to one guy and then the offense couldn't get cooking. But then you also had drops, but then you didn't also have Jefferson. It's, it's always something um, with these disjoint, like the defense will look good and the offense goes to sleep and it drives me insane. Uh, Ron, the the offense, what must it do? Or do you foresee it'll improve either one? I mean, I think just, you know, creativity, but also they just need to be aggressive. They seem to be in every sense of the way playing to not lose a game rather than to winning a game. And now that's one thing when I don't know, it's, it's hard to understand because I feel like the defense has been doing its job. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, minus their, they've had their letdowns, but They've been on the field so much, it's hard for them to, you know, to when they're getting gassed to make those plays when it matters, you know, whether it is to get turnovers or whatnot. So I don't know if it's because we're fumbling the ball so much, we're having all these, you know, bad drops that are just, you know, it the fact that we it took us what six games into the year to score our first points on our first drive that's baffling like it's even shitty offenses go out there and and put up points and we still have yet to get a touchdown like what it so that's where to me it's i raise the question it starts at the top it's ultimately it's the, even before jefferson got hurt it's the same offense that was last year if not you know with additional pieces because you add the Josh Oliver and you add that wrinkle of him being so dominant as a blocker and capable pass catcher and the improvement on the offensive line. Like what, whereas last year I understand maybe being conservative because your defense is going to give up all these points. Whereas now they're at least they're bringing pressure. They're doing things to make the other team uncomfortable. I want to see that same aggression, which O'Connell has said that when he brought in Flores, that, he 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 likes the fact that he's aggressive on that side of the ball because he wants to be aggressive, but we haven't seen that, and I don't know where that's coming from. But they, I just want, I'd rather see them go out there and just you know, like they're playing Madden, just throw it, you know, the Randy ratio, throw it deep, you know, thirty times a game, see what happens. It's uh, worth noting that on on Monday, at least on paper, the San Francisco 49ers defense per talent from head to toe is about six times better than the Bears um, from all of their linebackers. Their entire defensive front might be a little bit of weakness at cornerback, but not any not anything like the Bears. So it'll be a test. It's it's a horrible assignment if you want to have a get right offense game. Uh, and I really couldn't. Besides, maybe the Browns this year or the Eagles, you can't really script a more tricky defense to go up with when you don't have Jefferson and you suffered from vanilla ism um, at Soldier Field. 
Well, also polar opposite, as Ron was saying, of not having a touchdown the first drive. Last Mm -hmm. year, they were phenomenal on the first drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they went to bed in the third quarter. Right. So what happened to these scripted plays that (laughs) seemingly worked last year? Well, they're ruined by fumbles. Oh, that's that's That's, true. (laughs) That's exactly what it is, is because the each one of those drives in the first five games, trying to remember the the first one against the Bucks, but each one of those drives where a fumble happened, uh, the drive was going quite well. Now the Chiefs game was the first damn play, uh, but most of those drive, most of the first quarter <laughs> momentum has been there, and it's been undone by a fumble. So it's again, it's to the testament. There's always something. And uh, uh, Brian, I want to ask you about this in case I forget. So Monday Night Football, that's when the Vikings play. I know that they they ha- they had an extra off day, but what do you? How did, does Monday Night different have Monday Night Football have a different feel, or do you prepare differently at all because there's an extra day? Or walk me through that how a week goes heading into M N. Yeah, it's definitely an um, extra day of preparation because um, you have an extra day. Um, it's a longer day too because then it's like you have all day Monday of still just kind of being around. The hotel, so it should be well rested because you, you you know you have extra day of rest, and then at that you play at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a week where I feel like it shouldn't be that many penalties. You have an extra day of learning plays, your assignment, like just being on point and studying. Like you have the early part of the day because you have to get up for breakfast and have a walkthrough probably on Monday. So you're up. So it's like go through your playbooks, like just have everything down packed by the time you get there on um, Sunday evening. Sally, today, in addition to Jalen Naylor being uh, designated to return, he can be activated for the regular season anytime in the next 21 days, officially back at practice. Anyhow, Kanan Wongu was activated. He'll play on Sunday, we think, probably back to his kick returner job. But the bad news was Marcus Davenport hits injured reserve with a high ankle sprain. And usually, especially if you follow NBA and all that, you can usually write a guy off for six weeks when he has a high ankle sprain, unless it's the playoffs and they play through pain or something. We're not there, nor will we probably get there. Uh, but I want to ask you now, now that we've seen the Flores defense get better in the last three weeks, it looked great against the rookie quarterback in Carolina. I think it held its own, you'd sort of say, against the Chiefs. Then looked against Tyson Badgett and Justin Fields looked pretty damn good. Are we are we back to thinking? All right, Flores knows what he's doing. He can he can get over the loss of Davenport, or was Davenport a special sauce for getting this thing going? Well, as someone who's like six months removed from a high ankle sprain, let me tell you, <laughs> I feel Marcus Davenport's pain. Okay, it is that it is lengthy. You know, I I'm I had missed some time in the training room for sure. So it's definitely going to be that long. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't think, of of course, he's been um, very reliable, great playmaker for them. And I think, I think we would probably all agree their best pickup um, free agent wise in the off season, but I I don't know. I mean, you would think somebody else would be able to step up. I know. I I don't know. Honestly, I'm sorry. I know it's such a crappy answer, but I think it's, Honestly, I don't know if this is going to make a lot of sense, but I think it depends a lot on how the offense does because they have to get those guys off the field mm-hmm. more often. And whoever steps up is not going to have the same level of experience or talent as him. So if they're gassed and overwhelmed, that's not going to help the situation. Ron, when Davenport missed most of the first three games, especially the the first two, we were kind of like, eh, 
oh, well, we'll see how this goes. They've got Wanham and Jones. And then by week three or four, we're begging for Davenport to be back because especially against the Chargers, they blitzed out the wazoo, but it didn't do anything. It was like there was nobody getting to the quarterback. So why even bother blitzing? It looks cooler on, you know, on film. Uh, but with Davenport back out on the shelf, do you think the Flores defense has turned the corner and is can able to, you know, Wanham's getting a little bit hot. Uh, Andre Carter could see the field. Do you think we're in a better place without Davenport? Or are we back to where we were against the Eagles and Chargers? I mean, I think it obviously hurts because if nothing else, you're taking away a depth piece. Um, you no longer have, you know, Wanham as a backup um, or, you know, coming in in a situational um, sense um, where he, is better like he's better than at that role than he is as an every down outside linebacker so um i losing davenport is gonna hurt because him and hunter on the edge like they there was an impact there and as much as flores likes to to blitz um it's great to blitz but if you're not getting home what does it matter you know we saw that in uh what was the game where the one guy i can't even think of his name now where he had one pass rush almost got a sack i think it was against the bucks um mm-hmm. where he and had baker yep mm-hmm. and uh like it's great like blitzing is great unless you can't get home because then you're just vulnerable on the back end so um i mean it's one of those i know people like to criticize koc on his or uh or not koc um crazy on signing davenport you can't predict injuries like you know i get it he has a history of injuries but kind of hope that the team doctors are able to vet out anything historically and then whatever it is what it is. But clearly when he was on the field, like he was dynamic and him and Hunter made a difference. So um, I don't know if that means, well, pace, I don't see him as an edge guy. Like I don't, I saw people saying like, use him like Micah Parsons. Well, Micah Parsons is also six, three, you know, 260 pounds, <laughs> not five eleven. Um, so having an inside day. backer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> having an inside backer that's capable of doing what pace is doing is great. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's Sally's point. We need to get off the field um, and not put our defense in these tough situations where, you know, they're letting, you know, the greatest quarterback in the world complete a third and 17 and stuff like that. So um, it's going to hurt, um, you know, on the bright side of things, it sounds like Booth has been progressing now that he's healthy. So if you can get help on the back end, then that helps your pass rush as well. So we'll see how it plays out. Cause yeah, that's not going to be a fun task this, uh, this coming week. Yeah. Booth, uh, in an unforeseen way played 26 defensive snaps uh, against the Bears. And normally you'd be like, well, it's second round pick. Of course he did. But he's been uh, notoriously banished to the bench. And he got he got a shot and did pretty damn well, uh, or at least didn't make any huge headlines, which is the good news for uh, a cornerback. Uh, but then again, it was also against the Bears. Uh, one other note on Davenport. So he's guaranteed to be out for four games. No matter what, he's out until at least right before Thanksgiving. So if we get back to the Wanham and Jones sandwich that isn't effective, like we saw against the Buccaneers and Eagles, there is Andre Carter. He's on the active roster. And then Luigi Villane is on the practice squad if they need a different look uh, to point that out. So uh, I'm not going to ask for anybody's predictions because I don't think that's <laughs> fair. We don't know. Well, yeah, a little mercy <laughs> angle there. Uh, but we don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to play Trent Williams, Debo Samuel. And then I think Dre Greenlaw on the defense didn't play last week. So it would be kind of giving two predictions if those guys play or if they don't. Um, but I'll ask for your guys' general, general, excuse me, general sentiment heading into this. The Vikings usually on Monday Night Football aren't 
gangbusters at home. They tend to be better. Uh, another thing is they're facing a four game losing streak at home. It would be the first time in Vikings history that they lost four games out of the gate at home, which is just miserable sounding. But Brian, I will ask you the 49ers five and one. They just lost on a game winning field goal missed by the rookie kicker. They're going to be angry. Do you have any optimism about these Vikings going into that Monday night football game? No. That's just that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like that, you know, that 49ers team has, you know, been winning games. They lost a close one, so they're going to now come back and try to have some type of, you know, vengeance about themselves um, with this next game because they probably already felt like they didn't deserve to lose the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, The Vikings just came off of a kind of a sloppy win. and really haven't consistently got a lot of things going um, for them, and they're missing their star player. <laughs> Just not sure how the team morale is around not having their star player. I don't know if they're relying so much on him, or I don't know what's going on, but I just don't see it. That's kind of where I'm at, you know, doing the the eternal optimist fan thing. I always got to find reasons for hope. Like, you know, driving up there four hours every Sunday, or in this case, Monday, I have to figure out a reason why I'm doing that. And so this time, what I do is I work myself into the, all right, well, you know, they, they don't usually lose this much at home, and Brock Purdy might get flustered by the splits, but then I always forget that Jefferson's not playing. Uh, and I'm like, oh, God, no, we're going to have to do this complete patchwork thing and hope that maybe a couple of their guys are out. And it always brings me back to the same spot. Like, yeah, well, I don't know. So Sally Bryant very plainly said, no, not going to happen. Uh, do you have a, a different gospel for us on this? Well, to Bryant's point, you know, obviously Justin Jefferson, best wide receiver in the league, right? But if if him being out is that detrimental to you, if you have no backup plan at all for if this were to ever come up and you've never worked that out, then that's a problem. Um, you're entire. I I don't get it. Like uh, missing a guy like Justin Jefferson would affect any team, of course. But we're sitting here listing all of the team, all the players that yeah. um, the 49ers might be out, including Christian McCaffrey, and no one's singing that narrative about them. <laughs> so what is the um, issue? Uh, I, no, I'm with Bryant. What? I mean, no, I don't think it's going to happen. Obviously, no one thought the Browns were going to win. So, of course, I guess anything could happen, but it's very unlikely. And I'm sitting here wondering, I mean, in my mind, I've, I'm already kind of looking ahead to the Packers, kind of just mentally skipped this one. But, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but are they going to win a game at home before Thanksgiving? Oh, that would have to be against the Saints. I, right. I know. So it's not out of the question. They can't, they can barely beat the bears. So um, it's going to be real depressing around there. The tailgate has not been great. Yeah. I, I, has not been tailgating. <laughs> I mean, I came home last week with like almost a full cooler of alcohol. <laughs> People are not believing they're not coming early and they're not staying after it's really, I mean, but what, there's nothing, you know, to celebrate. Well, There's nothing I can, really to believe in. I can't remember if I said it on this show or a different one, but if you uh, go back to the Colts game, they needed the biggest comeback in NFL history to win that thing. And then the home game after that, they needed the longest field goal in franchise history to beat the Giants. Three weeks later, they lost to the Giants in the postseason. These are all at home. 
week one at home, lost to the Buccaneers. And they lost to the Chargers at home. And then the Chiefs, which we kind of expected at home. We haven't had a regular Vikings win at home since like last November. So all coming up on a year. And it really spooks me that that can't be the fortress of home field because even in Zimmer's dark days, it was it was still pretty tough for the Vikings to lose at home. And those so those are little tidbits of things that will give me weird optimism. Like they can't keep happening; they have to win at home because they're that's what they usually do. Uh, that, these are just things that rattle around in my head, so I don't take them um, to the bank. That's where I'm at. I'll let you have the last word on this topic and show, Ron. Is that I do believe, and maybe it's against the 49ers, maybe it's against the Packers, that there is going to be a game where we're going to be like, holy shit, this, it's taken a while, but it's finally here, where they don't have fumbles on the first quarter or any quarter. Uh, they're, they're not beset, but, or when they blitz everybody, they actually get home. There's going to be a game, there has to be out of 17, where everything is interconnected. And so far, things have not been interconnected. Now, against the 49ers, that's not, I, it's not usually how it would work because they are probably the best team in football. And the, um, it's, it's, a it's a sad forecast when you have to say, all right, well, two and four, maybe we can get to three and four, get going, but then you have the 49ers on the schedule. So I will remain optimistic that there, there is going to be a complete game. Um, do you foresee that happening at all? And will it be against the 49ers run? You know, it's, it does. I don't see it in the sense that they, I mean, they haven't put together like even a part of it that's been complete or, you know, like not one unit other than maybe special teams, but even special teams, Powell dropped a fumble, um, you know, against the Eagles and, um, you know, get an extra point blocked uh, last week. And um, so <laughs> almost, it, it, almost hard. became the difference maker in the game. Yeah. It's so it's one of those. Um, so if, if the Niners would have won on Sunday, I would have felt a lot better about this game because it's the classic, you know, overlook, you know, Monday night football, it's whatever undefeated team. They're going to rest their, all their players that are hurt because save them for a week, but they just lost to the Browns. And, you know, a guy that was just signed last week, um, they're going to be pretty pissed off. Like the play, like Fred Warner, you know, the Hafanga, those guys, those, mm-hmm. they still have a really dominant defense that is going to come out and, you know, they're, they're going to punch us in the mouth. I feel like it's, I, I, I don't, the difference between Zimmer and the home, the home field that we had when he was here, there was a toughness that we had. We don't have a toughness, especially on the offensive side of the ball right now. Again, it's evident in the drop passes, the fumbles. Um, and I see them just getting punched in the mouth and not really responding. They could very well come out and put together a complete game, but yeah, I don't see it against a team that just, um, you know, just lost a tough one. Um, so yeah, I, I'm hoping for the best because yeah, if you can get three and four and then, you know, Packers on the horizon, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's still those divisional games are going to mean a lot, but man, it's, it's looking bleak. Yeah. I will, I will say this, uh, if they get to two and five, which is a very real possibility with the NFL trade deadline a week, a week away, uh, you could see the sale of some some assets, whether that's Daniil Hunter or uh, trying to think. I don't think Kirk is going to be traded. Ezra Cleveland, KJ Osborne, one of those guys. Jordan Hicks is playing so well. He might go to a linebacker need team. 
I don't know if they if they would do that. Probably not at three and four, but at two and five, if they lose the Packers the following week, they'd have two days to pull off some trades. I think that's what we'd be facing is the decision to softly uh, mail it in because I don't think there's going to be a trade involving the quarterback. <clears throat> All right, guys. No, yeah, go he ahead. Because he would have to agree to it. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, the list of teams that what we really need him right now, I think is pretty much just the Falcons. If they convince themselves that, you know, Hey, we want to win the NFC South and get to the wild card. Other than that, it's like the Patriots are already down and out at what are they? One in five, the jets suddenly believe in Aaron Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, not Aaron Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson, Aaron Rodgers claims he's going to be back like uh, for the playoffs, which I, I, that would be remarkable. So I don't see the Kirk stuff and he, he'd have to sign off as Sally said. All right, guys. Right. Uh, right. Wait, wait, wait. Um, sadly, this mm-hmm. is our last show during Libra season. <laughs> and I thought um, you were announcing your retirement or something. No, it, it uh, has not been a great Libra season for us or for me, <laughs> definitely. But I just realized we missed, or at least I missed, uh, Dustin's birthday. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. So, no, it's um, all good. Happy, happy belated to both of y'all. Yeah, I'm Thank 40 you. now. Mm-hmm. Are you? Oh, happy yep. 40th. Yeah, a week, a week ago today. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to celebrate. Yeah, the twins couldn't (laughs) treat me to a primetime victory. I was peeved. Yeah. Well, well, this this four-year-old guy is signing off for the evening, but we'll talk to you guys in one week, hopefully, about the three and four Vikings. All right. Bye, guys. Take it easy. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.